Hey, everybody. You know, Mark and I have over 20 years of experience as therapists and as addicts in long-term successful recovery. We know better than anyone what works and what doesn't to break out of porn and sex addiction, heal betrayal trauma, and reclaim your relationship. And we've poured all of our personal and professional recovery and healing experience into a first-of-its-kind program for addicts, spouses, and couples. We call it Dare to Connect. At least four times every week, we engage with you in real time, in the trenches, giving you the knowledge and the tools to take back your life and relationship. Whatever else you've done on your journey for healing and recovery, you've never done anything like this. You know, Mark and I, we've made all the mistakes, so you don't have to. Don't reinvent the wheel. We all know tomorrow never comes. Look, don't wait one more day to change. Claim your free two-week trial today at daretoconnectnow.com. Hey everybody, I'm Steve Moore. And I'm Mark Castleman. We know the pain and heartbreak of porn and sex addiction. And we know the triumph of breaking completely free. Every day, we help our clients find hope and healing. Join us in the fight to take back your life, your marriage, and be stronger than ever. This is the PBSC Squared Podcast. Hey everybody, Mark and Steve here. Today we are excited to really kind of, it's kind of a journey of nostalgia for me and Steve. We're going to uh, (laughs) go back to our heavy addiction years and talk about what we, knowing what we know now, what would we have done different? And as we talk about this, no matter who's listening right now, if you're suffering from addiction, if you're struggling with betrayal trauma, if you have other severe or deep or significant habits or behaviors that you're trying to break through, everything we're going to talk about today applies to you. Whatever you you just can't find a way to get out of the way in your life, you're thinking, man, if I could just break through this or I could just get that out of the way, my life would be really good. And so we're going to talk about the things that we wish we had known back in our addiction days that uh, prevented us from breaking through. What would we do? What would we, what would we do now knowing what we know if we could go back in time? And that's why this is called if if you could go back in time. So we're just going to jump into that. Uh, This is just kind of us hanging around, sitting around, having a chat about what we would do different. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think, and I think, uh, you know, there, hopefully this is going to be an episode and I think it will be, um, that'll be kind of gold for you addicts out there because we are going to be focusing on strictly the addiction side of things this week in another week, possibly next week. We'll, we, we don't know how far we're going to get in this thing today. So we may do another episode like this about addiction. We definitely have plans to do a similar, if I could go back in time with our marriage and showing up in the marriage recovery side of things. Um, but uh, yeah, hopefully this is going to be, I mean, I would have, I'll tell you right now, I would have given anything for a podcast episode like this when I was 
12, 15, 25, <laughs> right? Because Mark and I have, you know, we're blessed. We've, we've both found good recovery and are very solid in that place. But I we were talking earlier, Mark, and I, I think we both agree we could have shaved anywhere from 15 to 30 years off of our <laughs> off of our hellish journey if we'd known some of this stuff so yeah right I'm excited yeah so let's let's leap right into it you know as I think back to my uh, deep addiction years and for me it wasn't just addiction I mean yeah there was a there was a there were deep addiction issues but I had a whole bunch of issues I had mental health issues I struggled with severe depression I had anxiety uh, I had Tourette's syndrome in my yeah. teens and 20s, there was a lot of stuff that I, that I was dealing with. And of course, the addiction was the way to try and cope with all of it, to try and self-soothe and medicate. So as I talk, you know, as we talk about this today, keep in mind, everybody listening, this is not just about a little narrow thing called addiction. Yes. It's all the, all the different things that we all struggle with that go along with it. So I, one of the biggest barriers I see in the way I thought back then I wish I had been open and transparent uh, with others and got help sooner. Oh, yeah. So as I look at that one, shame and secrecy were a regular part of my daily life. And so I had a little motto that I had back then. God and I can handle this just fine. Mm, yeah. I don't need to tell anyone. Nobody else has to be involved. Besides that, you know, my family taught me you don't air your dirty laundry. You don't, you know, open up your skeleton, your closet full of skeletons. You handle it yourself. Mm. You know, what, what kind of a wuss or wimp are you that you got to go get all touchy feely getting help from people? Just go take care of it. And so, <laughs> man, did I embrace that philosophy because it meant that I didn't have to disclose to anybody. Yeah. And my big deal with disclosing and being honest and, and open and transparent was I was convinced that if anyone ever learned about my secret behaviors and all the stuff that I was doing, you know, in my stealthy way, my reputation was done. I would yeah. be, I would be a, a, a joke in my community, in my church, with my friends, my family. And so there is no way. It's like nobody can know and I'm never going to tell a soul because the risk is too great. So, so God and I will handle this just fine. Of course, yeah. after 20 years of trying that, God and I didn't handle it just fine. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I love talking about this kind of stuff with you, man, because I, you know, our stories are so similar. And then there's some nuanced differences as well that probably help us kind of cover a broader base in terms of our, uh, our audience. By the way, we now have listeners all over the globe on every continent. We checked this morning. Yeah, so, that's so cool. Which is super cool. I don't know if we need to throw a party or something, but uh, <laughs> I guess I guess we're still missing Antarctica. But other than that, you know, we've got people <laughs> tuning in everywhere. But when I, you know, my, in some ways, my my experience with you, Mark, was very was or or my experience in that same time frame was was very similar in the sense of that absolute, I don't even paralyzing fear of anybody finding out. <laughs> Um, I was open with a few people. I was open with some church leaders, uh, uh, you know, congregation leaders that I, I was working with. Um, and other than that, and, and one therapist that I briefly talked to, although not really worked with, uh, cause I, I kind of bowed out of even doing that. Uh, I, I didn't talk about any of this stuff. Um, 
And it was it was very fear driven, similar to what you're talking about. For me, it looked a little bit different on the God end of things. Um, my my past, I uh, you know, when I got into my addiction, I was just coming off of or was still deeply in the in the grieving process from losing a dad uh, unexpectedly and having had cancer twice as a kid. And I I remember thinking now I can look back and kind of vocalize it better. But I just remember feeling actually the the opposite of of this concept of, you know, me and God can do it together. My thought was that I'd actually, God had abandoned me and that I, for whatever reason, uh, wasn't entitled to, you know, blessings or to whatever the case is. It's that whole, you know, notion that a lot of us who are grow up in religion, uh, you know, learn that, you know, when we're, when we're, when we do good, we're blessed. And when we do bad, we're not. And, I kind of took that to heart in a pretty rigid way and just kind of concluded given my life history up to that point that I must just be bad somehow because nothing was adding up in terms of the blessing category. And so very early on for me, it was similar in the sense of like nobody can know, but it it was very different on the God spectrum in terms of even though there was a part of me that would vocalize me and God could do it because I intellectually believed it emotionally and deep down, I really questioned that. And that just grew deeper as more trauma and other things happened in my life. A couple of years later, after my dad passed or my uncle passed away, who was my dad's brother, that kind of in some ways was almost more devastating to the spiritual relationship because I remember something kind of snapped and I basically just said to myself, you know, I'm that there's uh, clearly uh, I can't get close to anybody, right? I can't get close to anybody because when I do, they leave, they go away. They, they aren't there for me. They abandon me. Um, and I've now had a dad and a kind of pseudo dad do it. And I feel the same thing from God. And so I made the decision to kind of go rogue, to go it alone. So, (laughs) you know, this is my problem and it is my job to fix strictly kind of a kind of mentality. Well, it's funny that you say all that because we're, we're, you said, you know, maybe we're different in this way, but we're not. So everything, everything you just said was true for me. Oh, good. So I, I said God and I could handle it just fine. Yeah. But I didn't know how to access God's help. Mm, it, was, yeah. it was an intellectual statement. Yeah, God and I will handle this just fine. Because mm, that was wow. just a convenient way to say, I don't have to tell anybody else because I have God. Gotcha. <laughs> but I didn't even believe I had him because my problem was because of the outrageous, ridiculous, despicable, you know, weak and crazy behaviors I was engaging in. I had taken myself out of the circle where I could get God's help. Yeah. I was trying to earn my way back into the place where I could actually get him to help me. Oh my gosh. That's a whole podcast episode. right? Oh, now. I know. So that's where I was. It's like, yeah, I know God and I could handle this just fine, but I'm not worthy of his help. He's just, he's disappointed and disgusted with me. So really, uh, I guess I can handle this just fine. <laughs> and so I was desperately trying over so many years, maybe decades, to prove to him through my sobriety, through being able to resist urges, to not get pulled into these old habits. If I could do that long enough, if I could have enough, quote, period of sobriety or, nor- or being normal, then he would help me. Then suddenly I would be worthy of his help worthy of his mm. grace. But no, when I say God and I could handle this, I did, I, that didn't include him. He was just gotcha. kind of an intellectual, 
uh, religious culture kind of concept. Mm, In yeah. fact, really, if you want to ask me truthfully who God was, he was this Old Testament wrathful dude that was just waiting to just turn me into a briquette. Yes. <laughs> it was just a matter of time before I was turned to ash. And he was just waiting for the right opportunity. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like the forget. I, I can I, I can agree with that. <clears throat> so, yeah, this this immense fear. If anyone finds out, you know, my life is over because I was desperate. I was desperate to be thought well of. I was desperate for others to like me. Yeah. I was I was desperate to be affirmed and approved of and accepted. And if, if somebody found out about this secret stuff going on behind the scenes, all of that was gone. I'm like, yeah, if yeah. they know, they'll never see me the same. They'll never, they'll never, they'll never th- accept me the same. My whole life will be shot, done, over. Yeah. So how yeah. do you go seek help when you believe that? Well, and I think it becomes even more amplified, you know, in a lot of respects for us addicts, because I mean, everybody, especially, you know, in those younger formative years, we're all looking for validation. You know, we're all looking for somebody to hey, say, hey, good job, or you're doing well, or whatever the case may be. And um, being raised in a similar faith tradition with as you, that was just amplified even further, um, as was the shame factor around specifically, you know, sex addiction. Um, I mean, I would have... I. I can honestly say at, at, at 15, there were a couple of times where my mom, she, everybody around me knew something was wrong. They didn't know what, but I just was emotionally all over the place. You know, I just angry, resentful, happy one minute, ticked off the next, withdrawing and all those things. And, and uh, I remember distinctly saying, I will take this thing. I may talk to a few religious leaders or whatever, but like as far as telling like my mom, I would, I would throw myself off a cliff before I, I would ever consider doing, I would rather die. I would not be able to handle because the thought of that or that become coming public, like you said, was absolutely terrifying. And I think a lot of that comes from this idea that, you know, this is where the codependency for all of us is really beginning early on. It's this notion of, even though all of us want that validation and that, and that, you know, Hey, good on you. And, and that uh, approval for an addict who hates himself and is progressively hating himself that just, it, it goes from, uh, hey, I really would want this and this would be good for me to uh, I can't live without it. If I don't have my reputation, right? If I don't have that approval, I don't have anything anymore. Yeah, no, it's so true. And, you know, just this, this thing that, it, that says, I'm going to take this to the grave mm-hmm. because the, the thought of everyone knowing and me being... If, if I have to let everyone see the real me, if I have to like take off all the masks and the facades and all the show, boy, did I put on a show to look and talk and act in all the, the right ways, all the ways that would, that would make people like me. If I got to let all that go and just say, here I am, this is the real Mark. That was just unthinkable. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. The most yeah. terrifying, frightening thing imaginable is what I'm going to let them see me like way deep down inside. Mm-hmm. Cause I knew that the acceptance and love I had from others was conditional on me continuing to be who they thought I should be. Yep. And if yes. I let that go, all bets were off. Mm, yeah. And it was just, the risk was too great. 
Conditional love, uh, yet another totally podcast right. episode. <laughs> conditional love, conditional <laughs> acceptance. As long as I keep doing this or saying that, you'll like me or love me. And if I stop doing that, you won't. Yeah. So, so now I'm a doormat. You know, now, I, now I'm a puppet. Yeah. Oh gosh, right? And all the things I just said, of course, what do those things drive? The very behaviors that I'm ashamed to tell anybody about. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like it's the dog that chases its tail endlessly. Absolutely. Well, and I think, I think, uh, you know, if we were to look at, you know, what we would do different as I'm sitting here, you know, if I could, if I could go back in time on this issue, knowing what I know now, I mean, obviously you and I started to become public, you know, as, as part of our recovery process in, you know, recent years, you know, the last, for me, it's been the last, you know, eight or nine years or so. And, um, as I look back on those notions, I mean, I've had lots of little experiences that have helped to break down that fear that I carried from childhood, right? Uh, every time I would tell somebody, even when they did not receive it well, I had some close family who actually really did not receive this well. Um, and uh, I, even when that would happen and, and it wasn't the response or the, 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 the rallying around me that I wanted, although I did that, get that from many sources that were close to me, including family, uh, which was a real blessing. I, I was able to see, you know, that the, the river, the, the, the water coming out of the faucet didn't turn to blood because <laughs> anyone knew about this. Right. And, and, you know, the, the, the sun still kept rising <laughs> in the East and setting in the West. And I mean, I really, cause I, before it had been so paralyzing and terrifying. And so I, I think for me, if I could, and, and obviously now we're obviously super public podcasts and books and everything about this whole thing. And, you know, our clinics that we run, I, I would go back and I would have been open and, and, and sought help sooner. I would have found trusted people who got it and would have just said, look, like, this isn't like a little, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Right. But like, just, I have a problem and yeah. I just, I, and, and not just in terms of seeking help, but just starting to practice owning it. Right. Owning the, this part of me that I was keeping from everyone all the time so that I could start living in my own skin, I guess, is the way that I think about it. Because before it was just a facade, you yeah. know, and, and, and the longer I did it, the longer it, it, the more distant that facade came, you know, was from, from who I really was. Yeah, me too. If I could go back, I would have, I would have just somehow dared to take the risk, just dared to be open. In fact, a, a super quick story. Um, so I, I kept this secret from everyone for decades from the time I was a kid, well into my adult life. Finally, when I got just this little, little tiny molecule of courage <laughs> to try to dare to tell someone, I remember going up to a religious leader <clears throat> uh, at, at a meeting on a, on a Sunday. And I had been reading a book uh, uh, that was about addiction. And one of the chapters in the book was about sexual addiction. And there wasn't a whole lot written about this back then. Yeah. And so to, t to tell you how f totally terrified I was of telling anyone, what I did with the chapter in this book is I highlighted with a yellow highlighter all the places in the chapter that were that told about my addiction. And then I earmarked that chapter in the book with a little yellow sticky. And I walked up to my religious leader and I said, would you please read this, these highlighted sections and then, and then call me? That's all I, that's all I could tell him. Mm, okay. I couldn't say I have an issue. I want to meet with you. Here's a book. Yeah. So I handed it to him <laughs> and I walked away. And then I didn't hear from him for weeks. 
And of course, my addict ego conjuring brain said, yep, I knew it. I knew it. Now he knows, and he's never going to talk to you again. You're basically a dirtbag. All of your fears have come true. And I think a day or two later, he called me and he says, hey, can you come in and meet with me? I'll Mm. never forget walking into his office. He had the book on his desk and he had this most serious, dejected look on his face, like his Uh dog had just died. And I'm just like, (laughs) yep, I told you. It's over. It's over. I'm about to be, you know, excommunicated from my faith and the whole, the whole community is going, you know, they're going to send me to prison. (laughs) And then he said something I'll never forget. He looked at me with this really just distraught face. And he said, Mark, how did you know? Oh, gosh. And I remember, I remember, like, I was stunned. And I'm like, how did I know? How did I know what? And he said, how did you know uh, that this is what I suffered with for years and years and years of my life. How did you find out? Oh, wow. And I was stunned. And I looked at him and I said, I said, no, I didn't give that book to you because I knew about your issue. I gave it to you because it's the only way I knew to start to tell you about my issue. Oh my gosh. And we both looked at each other with this, just this look that's just irreplaceable. You, you just can't. And then this nervous laugh started from both of us like, oh, oh my gosh, <laughs> I thought it was you. No, I thought it was you. Holy and cow. that was the first breakthrough out of my secrecy and shame. And the conversation we had was absolutely astounding. Yeah. And bless his heart, he was in his position of leadership. He actually was really raw and open with me and told me about the, the struggles he'd had years previous. And that actually opened the way where I could start to dare to be honest and transparent. Now, I didn't open up to everybody right after that meeting with him. It took mm-hmm. years. It took years of chipping away and, and, and layer by layer to be able to be really authentic. But boy, boy, yeah. I would do that quicker and sooner. You Way back when, because... It kept me stuck for a long, long time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Great way to, you know, demonstrate just how much other people, you know, live in secrecy with this. Seriously, right? Oh, absolutely. No, I love that. That's a, that's a great story. Hey, everybody. Mark and Steve here. Are you looking to take your recovery and your marriage to the next level? We work with individuals and couples one-on-one. With both in-person and online therapy options, you have access to the experts anytime, anywhere. To learn more, visit us at pbsepodcast.com. Well, you know, as as you know, we were talking about this earlier today before we got uh, before we got going uh, in in into our episode. You know, Mark, you and I talk about acceptance on here a lot, right? In in, in a very healthy way, accepting the fact that we have an addiction, accepting the fact that we you know struggle and are powerless over it, that we need help to to overcome it, and uh, with everything from our higher power to our support system to our you know everyone around us and 
um, as as we talked earlier today, I, I liked uh, how we reflect on sort of the the negative version of acceptance, which is more is not so much acceptance as it is resignation, right? Yeah, shame kind of pulling us into that place of of uh, you know what this is probably just gonna never end. <laughs> Um, you know, and, and I think that's really, that's one of the most damning things about this process. The longer you go on in addiction, like you and me, we were probably like many of our addict listeners, we got caught up in this thing pretty early on in life. And the longer you go on in, in it, that begins to kind of just become your whole reality. And there is that downward spiral of, you know, we keep trying to change it or trying to do little things to combat it. But it, but it's really difficult for that resignation to just, you know, I'll never be anything different than I am today just to, to set in. And and that part of that came from that uh, that that uh, closed offness, right, that we were just talking about, because we're we live so much inside of our, I guess, you know, quote unquote, we talk about living inside of our own heads because we don't have anyone to go go to to talk to about this stuff. We don't have anyone to, to, to bounce those things off. All of these concepts and ideas about how, you know, we're going to get better versus not are coming from pretty much one source, our addicted shame-based brain, which is maybe the worst source you could choose. <laughs> yeah, there's pretty much only one worse source than that that I can think of and we won't talk about you know, devils and demons today, but <laughs> yes, <laughs> but no, I, it's a great point because I think back about another thing I would have changed. And that was being open to the possibility that I could change. Mm, yeah. You know, I remember just this inevitability where there was this little voice inside of me that said, you're never going to overcome this. Yeah. Yeah. You can do all these little programs and you know, cute little techniques and read this book and do this and that, but face it, you're going to be struggling this with this for good. In fact, I used to think in, in my faith tradition, this is going to follow me to the next life. Yeah. I'm not yeah. only going to struggle with it here. I'm going to struggle with it there. Mm -hmm. That's what a loser I am. I'm going to burn in hell and I'm still going to struggle. All <laughs> <know>, right. <laughs> it's just like, so this whole concept of, you know, there was always this little voice that said, Nope, this will follow you forever. And, mm. and I love what you're saying. The reason I thought that is because the only feedback I was getting was from my own head. Yep. So of course, of course, the little voice is saying you're never going to be free of this because it's all up to you. Yeah. And you've tried everything already. And you keep failing. You keep falling back into it. You keep suffering. And you're, you're at the end of your, of your options, your solutions, and you're still stuck. Mm -hmm. so therefore, there's no hope of change. Except the one thing that you're forgetting is, wait, you haven't called on anything outside yourself. Yeah. So of course, there's no hope. Mm -hmm. So I would have opened myself to that much sooner. Like, okay, you know what? There is the possibility to change but I can't keep thinking the way I've been thinking, or I'm going to keep getting what I've been getting. Yeah. So maybe I should dare to go outside my own head and start to look at other options. Yeah. Yeah. When your only source for, for information is sick, it's going to just breed more <laughs> sick. <laughs> right. Um, it really will. And I don't say that in a denigrating way, right? We just literally we're ill. Um, we're ill. We see the world so distorted. It's, you know, we, we addicts, we do, we build up, 
we build up this way of living that in so many ways is just warped from what's actually happening in reality. And what we're talking about is just, is just one of those. And so, yeah, kind of the catalyst to what we've been talking about so far is right. Just is that, you know, find somebody you can talk to, be judicious about it. It needs to be somebody who's safe, who's willing to hear you out, who's willing to hear your side, who's willing to give you honest feedback without judging you. But but be actively looking out for 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 people in your life like that. Yeah. Um, and of yeah. course, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, I I think it's important. You say, you know, choose someone safe. Don't let that, you know, don't let looking for the quote perfect person, you know, keep you from ever reaching out to anyone. Because I did that. Well, he or she's not quite right, or you know, I think they might not react quite well to this. So I let that basically keep me from reaching out to anybody for a long time. I'll find the perfect person to get help from. So you got to be careful that you don't do that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I love, uh, for example, what Brene Brown says. You know, tell your story, but tell it to someone who's earned the right to hear it. Yep. Absolutely. And that's yeah. That's so. It's just. It's just so right on. It is. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so yeah, so facing the pain and, and this is a process, right guys just want to keep in, you want to keep that in mind. This was for Mark and I, this was not a fast and easy process. It was very gradual and took far, frankly, too much time, which is why we're talking about it today. <laughs> um, and again, in the spirit of, of you not reinventing the wheel, we would, we would, we would plead with you guys and gals who are listening as addicts to to start this process today the only way through addiction uh, there's a lot to recovery there's a lot we talk about with our clients in, in our offices the the road to it is 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 long there's no getting around it but you but until you take these first couple of steps um and begin breaking into that really everything else that you do in recovery is to to some degree kind of undermined um isn't really uh is it really going to be as effective as it could or, or ought to be? Um, well, and I love Steve, you use this term uh, to work through your addiction. What mm, I tried yeah. to do forever was anything but that. I thought, you know, here's this wall in front of me of addiction that I can't get through. It keeps blocking my life, my happiness, my peace, my relationships. So I tried to go over it, around it, under it. I bashed my head on it. Most yeah. of the time I just turned around and walked the other way to avoid it. Sure. And then it would just come up in my path, you know, going the other direction. Yes. And the thing that I didn't want to face was that there's only one way to do this, and that's to move through it, to face it and experience it and move through it. So part what I would do different today is I had a lot of pain and what I call, you know, what, what we call the real deep core issues that are underneath the addiction or underneath the unwanted habits that we're, that we're engaging in. Addiction is just a symptom. Betrayal trauma is a symptom, you know, legitimate. But what's down deep? What keeps driving this thing? And I didn't want to face that pain. It hurt too much. Yes. You know, as a kid, I, I developed turning to addiction and other things to protect myself from the pain. Yeah. And now you're telling me that I'm just supposed to open up myself to these raw, these, you know, raw wounds and just experience my pain, sit with my pain, work through my pain for years or decades. I wanted nothing to do with that. It's like, yeah. no, there's got to be a better way. Just give me a magic pill. 
just give me a quick solution, but I don't want to go through all that. Uh, I don't want to face all that pain. Right. And yeah. so being willing to open myself early on to just get to the real painful stuff. And I'm telling you, it hurts like hell. Yes. To finally get Absolutely. to the place where you're at least open to doing that because boy, the survival brain in you is like, we're not going there. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Run. <laughs> <laughs> Numb out. Don't face that stuff. Are you crazy? Absolutely. Well, and you can see why we get caught in this so easily, right? Because you couple what you're talking about with e- even though it's synthetic and it's fake and it never lasts, when when you're caught between the cycle of, you know, not wanting to face these things and then you're you have this addiction that you're accessing that even though it is fleeting and short, you know, feels so good. It just the, all this stuff interacts together, right? <laughs> to just create this this just 5 foot thick wall. <laughs> That seems like insurmountable to kind of break out of that cycle. But but yeah. the minute you can start owning that, and you know, something else that comes up with this for me as we're talking about this is being open and seeking help sooner with other people is definitely important. But you kind of hit on something, Mark, just a second ago that, that kind of wants me to causes me to expand on it. And that's just pr- start practicing trying to be open with yourself, right? Uh, start Start practicing looking in the mirror and recognizing, you know what? I there's a real strong possibility that I have an addiction. And if I do have an addiction, right, what does that mean? Uh, does it mean that I'm evil and bad and will be cast off forever? Or is there a possibility uh, that maybe my thinking isn't as, you know, right or correct as I, I might suspect it is? Um, and so it's that being willing to to even just let in, you know, open that crack up in your mind of just entertaining the possibility that uh, maybe you don't have it all figured out in mm. your head, right? Maybe, maybe what that whole reality that you've conjured, maybe in many ways, it's kind of like the Truman Show, right? We've been living in this world that's, that's not completely accurate our whole lives, and we've got to break out of that. Yeah, yeah, I love that. You know, you have to be willing to open up yourself to possibilities that maybe you, your thinking hasn't been entirely right. Yeah. What do we say in addiction? You know, our best thinking is what it got us here. Yes. And you, you have to start to question it. Say, wait a second, wait a second. Does that really make sense? Yeah. Or, you know, all these things I've been telling myself, mm-hmm. what if what if they're not true? Yeah. What if there's a better way? You know, and that kind of brings us to the last point, you know, you and I were talking about earlier today uh, that I would do different. One of the things that I just wasn't willing to face I wasn't willing to face the fact that this was going to be hard work. Mm. Um, to be quite honest, there was a part of me, you know, back in my addiction years, it was just lazy. Uh, it just wanted the easy way out. You know, don't, don't tell me I'm going to have to do all this hard work and all uncovering all this pain and these emotions and what? No, there's, there's an easier way. I'm sure there's an easier way. And I always thought that I was kind of the, the unique guy that was going to find the shortcut. I'm going to be the one to find the shortcut. All you people doing all this crazy hard work for all these years, you're nuts. Oh, yeah. I'm going to find the shortcut and have this thing just go away. (laughs) And it it took a lot for me to go, you know what? Wow. Uh, I got a lot of of work to do. Sometimes I'm a little lazy sucker and I got to face the fact that I got to open myself to some hard stuff. 
Yeah. So when I accepted that, um, recover instead of an instead of a magical one-time event, one day I would be free. I I realized that this is a way of life. Yeah. There's there's a there's a way of thinking and behaving and living that I need to start to learn and embrace, rather than thinking it's going to be a magical easy event. Yeah. And now today, as I look back, I'm like, holy smokes, why didn't I see this before? This is a great way to live. Mm-hmm. I love the skills that I've learned. I love the tools that I use. I'm more confident. I more, feel more secure and at peace. I have better relationships and connections with myself and God and others than ever before. Why did I wait to do the work? Yeah. Well, and I think, and I think part of that is, you know, as you're talking, I kind of, I look back on my life and, and probably many of you, you, you that are listening could empathize with this or connect with this. I, I kind of spent the better part of my, my teens and then twenties, you know, uh, basically like an emotional crusader on the hunt for some mythical Holy grail, right? <laughs> yes. Like there's got to be this. And, and that Holy grail was a couple of different things. One is what you're describing, right? It's this, there's got to be kind of an expansion on that was there's got to be a way in which I can act out sexually in all these other ways and keep hang on to the, the fun, right? Quote unquote of it, or that old lifestyle, maybe it's not even the fun, but just that old way of living and still have connection with other people, still have a good marriage with my wife. Like there's got to be another way. And that quest lasted for decades. Yeah, I I often say, yeah, I I went ahead and committed myself and said, I have my new spacious, beautiful apartment in recovery town. But I have this little key to my studio, my studio pad over in Addictville, just in case I need to cross back over the tracks if things get really hard. That metaphorical like seedy hotel room in the the bad side of town. Yeah, it's over there. Just I'm, I'm, I'm still paying the lease just in case I have to go access it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. It's, it's really no different than the alcoholic, right. Who's sticking bottles in various places in the house. Right. I'm not, I'm not gonna actually use it. Yeah. It just, it just, it, it just, I, I just need it. Yeah. <laughs> right? I get, you know, my computer's under uh, is being, con- all the passwords are be put on there by my wife. My, I got a dumb phone, but I have this old tablet that's over in that drawer that if I ever need to actually access stuff, I, I got the tablet that has that I can go to. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's just not wanting to face the fact that there's work to do and commitments to make and moving forward. And you just, I would well, I was going to say I wish there was an easier way, but I don't wish there was an easier way. Yeah, because the hard stuff you and I and all the clients we've worked with, that hard stuff we've gone through, is what really has landed us where we are today. So it brings the change. Yeah, we're, I'm actually grateful for it. It's 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 been a crazy hard but amazing journey. Isn't it nuts that we can sit here and say we're grateful for our addiction? I know. I could have told you were a crazy man if you'd have told me that back when. Someday you're gonna mark. You're gonna say I'm grateful <laughs> for my addiction. Yeah, let me beat your sure. <laughs> I will sometimes share that vision that I've got for clients with them, and they just look at me like I am. Asking yeah. them to walk to Mars. <laughs> yeah, you are you are a crazy man. Because that's exactly how I felt. I totally get it. Well, well if we, yeah, if we ahead. finish up and give everybody an assignment, what's what's the assignment? Yeah. So if we were to if we were to kind of lay down some groundwork for what you, for uh, you guys and and uh, you know in this crazy time of life that we all find ourselves in with addiction and otherwise, 
Um, we've got four main topics that we covered today, and there, there are more to come other days. But we've got Be Open and Seek Help Sooner. We've got Facing Your Pain and Your Real Issues. Again, that's a whole, whole thing of itself. <laughs> being open to the possibility of being able to change. Just that possibility. And then will, being willing, like Mark just, just said, willing to do the, do the work. To come to that place of acceptance that to borrow a quote from 12 step that there really isn't an easier, softer way. It just doesn't exist. Um, and, and so I would, the assignment that we'd give you this week is pick one of these categories. I would feel very confident saying that everyone listening, even if you're in a fairly solid place of recovery, can up your game in one of these areas. And so the assignment for this week is pick one of these four. Um, rewind the podcast if you need to hear them again. Pick, <laughs> pick one of these four and then start and, and start focusing your journaling this week on it. If I was to take this, to, if I was to level up this concept, right, come to a deeper place of acceptance, come to a better place of facing my pain and the real issues, uh, what step would it take? And kind of tied to that, what many of you might find if you're not seeking it already is we'll just throw out that, that caveat and that plea, I guess, to please, uh, if you're ever, in every one of these categories, one of the most effective ways to address any of these is to seek out and find and begin working with a qualified, specialized therapist who can walk you through this process. You don't need to do it alone. In fact, in our book, I wrote a chapter that says you can't do it alone and you never were supposed to. Um, we all need help with this. And the sooner you can seek out that help, and there are a few sources better than that, uh, the sooner you can get on a, on a path to, to rapid change so that you don't have to repeat Mark and I's history so that, that can, you can accelerate that process and dial down that time. Um, don't, don't reinvent the wheel. So that, that would be what I would say. Love it. There you go. Okay. All right. We're signing off and we'll, we'll uh, see you next week. Be safe, everybody. Take care. That's all for today. Thanks for joining us. And remember, the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety, it's connection. Together, we can do the impossible. To learn more about Mark and Steve and to listen to more podcast episodes, visit us at pbscpodcast.com. Everything expressed on the PBSC podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the participants and is for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast should not be considered mental health therapy or as a substitute thereof. It is strongly recommended that you seek out the clinical guidance of an individual qualified mental health professional. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, self-harm, or a desire to harm others, please dial 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.